Well, we started a series about uh, two, three weeks ago now uh, called Spiritual Habits. And this series has really strived to take a look at the importance of spiritual disciplines as a regular part of our lives. Looking at those things that God has challenged us to and encouraged us with, understanding that He desires that we have the right kind of things at work in our lives. And as we talked about, many times as we begin to look at our habits and we look at the things that we invest ourselves in uh, throughout our days and our weeks, we have to evaluate the things that we're investing. We have to evaluate the things that we're doing because sometimes we have to give things up in order to bring the right habits and the right things and decisions into our lives. And sometimes this evaluation, this ability to step into the right things is as simple as just merely starting. Starting new habits. This past week, I, I read a, a post from Pastor Greg Rochelle. He's uh, the pastor of Life Church out, out there in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he shared three secrets of starting habits that will last. Those secrets are make it small, make it obvious, and make it automatic. Make it small. You know that the small habits done consistently will lead to big results over time in your life? It's the little things that we do. It's the small investments of time we make in, in exercise and relationship and investment that will yield big results over time. Make it obvious. If, if you want to change what you do, you have to change what you see. Right? If you've ever tried to engage in new habits or new disciplines or new spiritual disciplines, you oftentimes will put those things in front of your face, right? We want to have a New Year's resolution or we want to invest ourselves intentionally in something. We'll, we'll tend to write things down and either post it on the mirror or put it in our Bible or, or put it on our desk somewhere where we're going to see it regularly. And so we need to make it obvious. If you want to change what you do, you have to change what you see. So keep your new habits in front of you so that you're seeing them regularly. And then make it automatic. The truth of the matter is we don't ever drift towards what's healthy. We tend to drift toward what's easy. Right? We, we don't want to drift. Right? We don't drift to a, a, a strong spiritual walk and spiritual, spiritual journey with Jesus. We make intentional steps to engage that. And so we don't want to drift. We want to do. We want to do the things that we need to do to have the right habits, the right exercises, the right disciplines in our lives. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we've unpacked the foundational components of the spiritual habits of Bible reading and praying. And both of those are, are important components of our spiritual journey. Today we'll be looking at the spiritual habit of giving. Giving. Because giving is just as much a commandment of God as the other two. Bible reading and praying. They're truly the act of giving of ourselves. The truest form of devotion to God. But when it comes to giving, we oftentimes struggle. Because to receive is natural. But to give is sacrificial. Right? We all love to, to receive, you know, whether it's Christmas or birthdays or you know, just being thought of 
for no reason at all. We, lo- we love receiving good things. And it's interesting in life that we have a natural inclination to receive things, but the decision to give of ourselves is a learned discipline. It's something that we have to continually do and invest in. You know, it starts when we're young. Everything is mine, 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 right? It starts when we're, when we're little kids. It's, it's my toy. It's my thing. And we, we saw this with our, with our kids when they were young, when Elijah and Micah and Leah were little. Um, you know, what was a mutually played with toy suddenly became a weapon, right? You grab the Lincoln log and start waving it around and whacking each other over the head and you know, or everybody's having fun, you know, playing with the Legos, and all of a sudden somebody gets shoved over, and, you know, there's crying and screaming and gnashing of teeth, and people yelling, Mine! at the top of their lungs. But it is interesting how quickly something that is given becomes mine. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I was struggled with this principle. My, my, we lived in South Salem, my, my, myself and my younger brother and our two older brothers. And, and as our two older brothers got a little bit older, they would be off doing their thing. You know, they, they, they were of driving age, so they were out driving and going on dates and doing weird, you know, weird stuff. Who knows? But I remember being, being 12 years old. My younger brother was 10. And one of our favorite places to go eat was Taco Bell. I know, don't judge, please. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, who loves Taco Bell? Yeah, you, you, none of you guys are going to admit it because nobody really loves Taco Bell. It just sounds good sometimes. And you're like, ah, I think I could go for some Taco Bell. And I think I'm going to be okay with the punishment I'm going to have later on. Right? We've all been there. There's like this kind of, uh, is it worth it? Right? But we loved Taco Bell as kids. We loved it. It's our favorite spot. And my mom used to take us to Taco Bell all the time. And we'd go down South Commercial there at South Salem. We'd go to the Taco Bell right there across from Freddy's. Loved Taco Bell. So we go to Taco Bell, go through the line, wait what seemed like an eternity through the, you know, they, they stole the little twisty turn thing from Disneyland. And you'd stand there in line, you'd get up there, and it was like, I want a taco, I want a soft taco, and I want a nacho, baby. Because we loved nachos. The chips, the ch- Cheese food or what? I think it's cheese. But it, anyway, whatever that orange stuff is that you dip your chips in. We would get our nachos. And we were like, yes. And it was crazy because they were so cheap. they give you like seven and a half chips. And then this cup of whatever it was. Anyways. So we'd get our nachos. We'd sit down. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be eating our lunch and... You know, taking our chips and dipping them in the cheese. And it was like, yes, life is good. This is what heaven is like. And all of a sudden, my mom would reach across the table, grab a chip. Hey, hey, that's my, those are my nachos. Those are mine, mom. What, what are you doing? You know what she'd say? To, this is the tithe. This is the tithe. She'd take her chip and it's like, those are my nachos. She wanted the tithe. It's crazy how quickly what is given becomes mine. These are my notches. And the truth is we have to balance this natural 
tension of the enjoyment of receiving things with God's desire that as followers of Jesus, we would become natural givers. We would become those that would give freely of ourselves and not just desire to receive. And I'm not saying that receiving is bad. God's desire is that we would be givers. I saw this quote this past week as I was preparing. It said, Receiving and giving are opposite energies that are inextricably linked together in the natural flow of life. Like inhaling and exhaling, if one aspect of that cycle doesn't function, the entire cycle ceases to function and the forces of life cannot move freely. Have you ever thought about thought of giving and receiving as inhaling and exhaling, literally breathing? That's what giving and receiving looks like. It's a balanced exchange of understanding that God has given to us so that we can give away. We receive to be a blessing. We're blessed to bless others. But it's all about balance between giving and receiving. You know, interestingly, we also tend to diminish the importance of receiving as it relates to the value we place on giving. We tend to look at giving and we're like, oh, givers are great. Man, that person's generous. Man, they're amazing. I want to be more like that giver. There's those people in our lives that offer compliments and encouragement and affirmation at every turn. They, they make us feel good because they are constantly pouring into us. But they're incapable of receiving a compliment. Right? Have you ever met somebody like that? They're just affirming you at every angle, but then you try and offer them a compliment. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to say that. No, don't say that. You know, you... And they can't, they can't receive. Or perhaps you're, you're married to or have a good friend who's an amazing gift giver. Sometimes those are the same individuals who really struggle to receive the same generosity in return. They give of themselves, but they don't want anything in return. The key is understanding the balance and relationship between receiving God's blessings and being willing to give freely of those things that He's entrusted to us. Because He desires that we would be givers. And the truth is, God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need your stuff. He wants your company. He wants relationship. He desires to be together. You know, it's important we remember God doesn't need our nachos. Not like, hey, got you those nachos, give me some. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't need our notches. He desires our love and our affection. And he probably doesn't want the weird orange cheese food. Anyways. But his desire to bless us with good things is evidence of his love for us. It's the active part of his love. And our willingness to give back to him is evidence of our devotion. Our devotion to him. And we have this amazing opportunity to share our nachos with God as we dine with Him and we share our Taco Bell and He blesses it so that it doesn't give us indigestion later. But it's that great passage in Revelation 3.20 that we maybe are familiar with when Jesus said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in 
and I will eat with that person and they with me. Jesus desires relationship. He desires to come in and to dine with us and us with Him and to share our life and to share our worries and our concerns and and verbalize our dreams and desires and, and be together in relationship. He wants to sit down with us. As we sit down with Him, He wants to eat together. He wants to share the intimacy of a meal. There's something about being with Jesus like this. He invites us to relationship where there's a sense of sharing with one with another. And we see this in our own lives. When you really want the opportunity to get to know some, somebody, what do you do? You invite them to a meal. If you really truly want to hear somebody's story or, or, or enter into relationship with somebody, you invite them to share food. Because it's the most logical way to spend time in a relationship. It's non-threatening. It meets a mutual need that we have as human beings to have nourishment. And it provides space for real, true conversation. Where we can share our story and we can hear someone else's story and we can ask questions and we can hear about their dreams and their desires. Yet I wonder sometimes how different we might be or would we be the same as I was with mom? Those are my nachos. What are you doing? Stop taking my chips. I've only got seven and a half, now six and a half left. As we sit with Jesus to eat, He sees the nachos, He sees the food, He sees whatever it is that He's provided us. And as He reaches across to take a few, what is our response to Him? Hey, what are you doing? Those are mine, God. Those are mine, Jesus. Don't don't take my stuff. Or do we push our plate towards Him and say, take what you want. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for giving me everything that I have. His greatest desire is to spend time in relationship with His children. You and me. And when we're in true relationship with God, we're reminded that He is our ultimate source. That nothing that we have is ours. It's been given and entrusted to us. Because at the end of the day, Everything we have comes from God. Everything. Everything that we have, everything we possess, everything we see and touch and taste and smell comes from God. And if we can remember that everything's been entrusted to us by God and that He's the source of all that we've been given, we will acknowledge that God provides for us even when we don't feel like it's happening even maybe when we don't see it happening. And as we realize that God doesn't need our stuff, He doesn't need our nachos, but we get the joy of sharing with Him, God doesn't ask us to give because He's hurting or He's in need. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great mathematician, but it seems like a lot of cattle and quite a few hills. God asks us to give because God wants us to be like Him. 
Did you hear that? God wants us to be like Him. That's why He wants us to give. Because He's the greatest giver. He's the greatest giver of all. He, he modeled it for us and wants us to model that same type of giving to the world. In the verse, John 3.16, maybe you learned it as a kid. Jesus tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave the ultimate gift. He gave His Son. I, I mean, need I say more? God gave everything so that you and I could have relationships, so that we could step out of sin into new life in Christ. And as I mentioned before, we're, we're talking about spiritual habits. And in looking at the discipline of giving, I'll give you an interesting fact. I spent some time in grad school and I studied different elements of spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines. And even in preparing for this series and doing a bunch of research, you know, there was no mention of the spiritual habit of giving in any of the books I read. And believe me, I read a lot of books. Or at least skimmed them. I had to, you know, I had to, I had to kind of read them to write a page. Anyways, side point. But there was no mention of the spiritual discipline of giving. Yet we can see the importance of giving emphasized throughout Scripture. You know, there's many pastors and theologians who will claim that love is mentioned 714 different times in the Bible, yet giving or our possessions are mentioned 2,172 different times. That's amazing to me. The greatest commandment that we have is what? Love God with all our heart, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourself. This is interactive. Feel free to talk back. It does my heart good. But even though giving is repeatedly talked about in the Bible, our text today is found in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. You've spent much time studying giving, you've probably come across this scripture a time or two. But Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. But bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You are the greatest giver of all. And that You call us to model the same type of giving that You have given Your Son so that we could have life, life eternal. So that we could have relationship, restored relationship with You. That we could step out of sin into new life. Father, we pray that as we step into relationship, God, that we would have the same desire to give in such a way that we point people to You with our generosity and our love and our care. Father, let our devotion to You be evident 
in the way that we give and the way that we live. Father, we thank You for Your Scripture. We thank You for the opportunity we have to be in Your presence today. We ask that You continue to speak to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, this is a tough passage of Scripture because there's, there's some pointed, pointed language that's used. The writer's words are sharp. You've robbed God. Ow. I think if there's anybody in life that I would want to rob, it would not be God. I don't know about you. <laughs> right? I just think that that's probably not going to end well for me. But that's what the writer says. You, you robbed God. And why? Because you failed to bring the tithe into the storehouse. You know, one of the complaints that I hear the most about money is often regarding the way the government uses it. I know we all probably have differing opinions on our government and those in authority over us and how they're doing so far. Really great. Very encouraged. But many feel that the government has forgotten whose money they're spending. Regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum to the left or to the right, no doubt you've had or currently have issues with the way the government spends your money. With the way that they tax all the things they do. And of course, it's easy for all of us to cast stones But as Christians, we we need to be careful about making these kinds of accusations lest we expose a level of our own hypocrisy. Because too often, we struggle. It's a sacrifice. It's uncomfortable to want to give, even to God. You see, before we complain about the, the government squandering resources which in truth belong to someone else, we need to acknowledge that most of us are guilty of the same type of behavior at times. Only that which we are spending as if we're our own actually belongs to God. My money. My nachos. You see, most Christians spend time and money as if it were actually theirs. All the while, forgetting that if they'd given their lives to God, everything within that life belongs to God. And should be used for His purposes and with His direction. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price, is what Scripture tells us. And yet often it's mine. It's my life. It's my dreams. It's my desires, God. Why can't You just bless what I want? And we tend to lose focus that God has entrusted us with a life to use for His glory. Not our own. The truth is, those who are elected may have to answer to their constituents on election day, but those of us who have been chosen by God will answer to Him directly when we see Him face to face. We'll answer for what we've done with what He's given us. The gifts, the talents, the resources, the money, the time. We will all answer to God. And while every one of us will be held to account for that which God has entrusted to us, God's greatest desire is that our giving would stem from a heart of gratitude. That we would desire to give. 
Because giving should come from a cheerful heart. Not a reluctant one. God desires that we would have a cheerful heart when it comes to giving. That giving would be joyful. That it would be exciting. That we would look for opportunities to give of ourselves. That we wouldn't sit on the sidelines. That when they say at church, hey, we need, we need people to hold babies. We need people to, to spend time in our neighborhood kids ministry. We, we need youth leaders. We need greeters. We need hosts. We need hospitality people. That we'd be like, "Woo, I got it. Where do you need me? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Mm-hmm. You guys are terrible. All right? I get it. It's not baseball season yet. We're getting close. Come on. You know, the truest form of giving begins with a heart of genuine love and generosity. It begins in the heart. The act of giving then becomes an outward expression of the joy God brings us in imitating His heart of giving. When we can imitate the heart of God and the way He gives, guess what? It gets people's attention. When we look at Scripture and say, God so loved that He gave His only Son, that should get your attention. God's desire is that we would give the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. You know that God would rather you not give at all than you give out of guilt or compulsion or, well, Pastor Dan says I should give, so I should... not happy about it. Let me tell you what. Who knows what they're doing with our money? And we're not talking about giving today because the church is in financial hardship and we're, we're going down the tubes and, oop, I better get a giving, giving message in because, whew, no. God is blessing neighborhood church in, in, in incredible ways. And our reach is continuing to expand because of your faithfulness. I'm talking about giving because God's desire is that we would follow Him in the spiritual habit and discipline of giving. But the world is saying, take care of yourself. You come first. And sometimes even in the church, we give our leftovers. Kind of show up and we're like, well, I've, 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 I've done this and I paid this and I, you know, I took care of all these things and, and this is what I got left. Sorry. But God doesn't want leftovers. He wants what? Our first fruits. The first. He wants the tithe to be the first check that we write, the, the first ACH draft we do, the first. He wants us to give before we pay the cable bill, before we pay for these amazing little idiotic phones that sometimes I wish I didn't have that cost more than my life. Yeah, He wants us to tithe before that. Before we do anything, He wants us to set aside what He's already provided us with so we can give back to others. I love this quote. It comes from a pastor friend. He said, you... God can do more with the 10% than you could ever do with the 100%.
told you, I'm not a math person. That's Gretchen. If you have math questions, Gretchen will be happy to help you. Otherwise, I, I know everything else about life. Or we don't. But the reality is God can do more with the 10% than we could ever do with the 100%. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. I know that God is faithful to His Word. And it makes a difference. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. We would not have the opportunity to bless the kids at Lafayette Elementary School with school supplies this last fall if you had not given. Kids in other part of the world, all over the globe, would not have had the opportunity to know Jesus if you didn't give and support Operation Christmas Child. Boxes going out all over the world to people just like our very own Vanessa who received that box and it changes their life because of Jesus. Our, our vacation Bible school this past summer would not have been so successful and had the opportunity to minister to, to 52, 53, 54 kids by the time the, the week was over had you not given. If you didn't give, we wouldn't have the opportunity to conduct youth and student ministries every Sunday night to students and teenagers who, who come here from around the community to hear about their purpose in Jesus. We couldn't do those things. There's different events and programs in the church that would not happen if you didn't give. And I'm so grateful for the generosity of Neighborhood Church, the faithfulness this church has to say, yes, I am going to help fulfill the mission of the church. It's more than just about keeping the lights on. It's about shining the light of Jesus throughout the world, throughout our community, across the street, around the world. It's about pointing people to Him. And I believe we're supposed to tithe. I believe it's, it's biblical. The word tithe means 10%. I believe it's what Scripture says we should do. We just read the passage. And that's what Gretchen and I have always strived to do over the years. And, and it's, it's not easy. There's been seasons it's been extremely difficult. And I always get the question, well, is it gross or net? Should I tithe on the growth, gross or the net? You know, Bill Beasley Sr., I love Bill. Bill's like, hey, I woke some of you up, didn't I? Yeah, Bill's, Bill's like, hey, preach a... Preach a giving message every week. It'll be great. That's what treasurers do, right? But Bill said, I was, we were talking about this the other day, and we were talking about the, 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 you know, the net versus gross. And, and he said, well, here's the deal. If you tithe on the gross, when you get your tax re refund back, you've already tithed on it. Eh? Not impressed. Okay, good. Well, then there's always the question, do you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? <laughs> that one hits a little closer to home. Okay. But here's the statistics. And these are staggering. On average, nationwide, 5 to 8% of a church congregation give regularly. 5 to 8%. I want to tell you that that percentage is much higher at Neighborhood Church, but can you believe that? The Big C Church, the, the church collective, 5 to 8% of church attenders tithe regularly. That's crazy. 
The average giving in churches today is actually about 3% of a giver's annual income. That's it, 3%. Even though we talk about God's blessings and His desire to provide and expand, 3%. Can you imagine if we all came to a place of joyfully giving to God? Just desiring to be used of God? doesn't mean we all give the same. Even, even if you're struggling financially, I truly believe there's a place to financially give. There's a place where you can use your gifts and talents. There's a place where you can volunteer. There's a place where you can make an impact. There truly is. We see it in Scripture. The, the widow's might. Right? you got the guys coming in with the, the big old you know, garbage pails of, of money and they're chucking it in the coffers real loud and all the coin and you know, it's all making a big old ruckus and everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at these guys. Look at how generous they are. And the widow comes in and drops in two mites. And Jesus commends her that she gave all she had. She gave greater than all of those doesn't mean we all give the same. It means that we give out of what God has given us. And we do it in obedience and love. God's greatest desire is that we would find joy in giving back to Him. We would have a cheerful heart. Because we know His ability to multiply our gifts is what furthers the kingdom of God. When we give, guess what? He takes it, He multiplies it, and He says, I'm going to reach the world with your gift. I'm going to reach countless people in this community because you were faithful. I'm going to take your gift and I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe with it. Because that's the God we serve. And at the end of the day, God's example of giving should lead us to the same level of generosity. What does that mean? God gave it all, even unto His Son, But guess what? That's what He's asking of us. He's only asking for the 10%, but He's asking for you to give your life in service to Him. You know, at Neighborhood Church, we talk about the commitment we have to a heart of uncommon generosity. Uncommon, unusual, unique, crazy generosity. And our desire is that that would reflect the heart of God to people. And they would see Jesus in each and every one of us when we give. And this kind of generosity reflects the heart of the Good Samaritan in Scripture who who saw the man in the ditch, right? The the two religious leaders had walked by. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy smells. He's probably drunk. I'm going to keep on going. This is not for me. It's not my problem. And here comes the Good Samaritan. And he sees him. And what does Scripture say? He took pity on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Did he give just enough? Hey, this guy's kind of jacked up. He's not looking too good. Why don't you kind of take care of him, just get him bandaged up, and then I'm out. All right? <laughs> I did my good deed for the year. Your problem now. I'm going to go do what I need to do. 
No, that's not what he did at all. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Any. I will care for him. I will continue to care for him. And whatever he needs, I got it. And God's saying that to you and to me today. Whatever you need, I got it. But here's the catch. He desires that we would give the same way. That we would be that conduit of blessing to people. And they would see the level of generosity. The truth is, everything we think we own belongs to God. It's His anyways. My car, my house, my kids' Xbox, my computers, my TVs, my jewelry. Well, Gretchen's jewelry. (laughs) So we're clear. I only wear that stuff on the weekends. Anyways, uh, my tools, my clothes, my food, my moped. My moped, that's mine. Gretchen doesn't ride that. Anyways, and really everything. It's God's. It belongs to Him. You may think you earned it. You, you may think you worked for it. You traded for it. You purchased it. Yet you could not have done any of those things without the strength, the life, the resources that God has provided you. It's all His. There's nothing that we have that God ultimately has not provided. Nothing. And we grow in our relationship with Jesus when we realize that God gives to us and delights in us giving to others and giving back to Him. And yet, we sometimes act like that little boy, that little Danny, and we don't want to share our nachos. Those are mine. Don't take my nachos. Church, we serve a giving God. No other religion in the world can talk about a giving God. A God who gives freely so that we can be blessed, we can be a blessing. A God who loves so much that He would sacrifice His Son to give you and me life. That's real giving. That's true giving. That's amazing giving. And giving is a matter of the heart. It always has been and it always will be. And I know, I know, I know there are those of you who are experiencing financial hardship. You're looking around going, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know. I get it. God's desire is that we would be faithful. And when God provides for us, are we like the little boy who pulls the nachos away from God? Or are we willing to push the plate and say, God, here, it's yours. Thank you for everything that you've given me and for the things that you will continue to provide me. Is it our commitment today? Lord, I give you everything. I give it to you with joy and contentment and I want you to do as you please with all of it. Would you stand to your feet as we pray this morning? Father, we love You and we thank You. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for how much You love us. You loved us so much You sent Your Son so that we could have life, life eternal. So that we could experience life and life more abundant.
so that we could step out of sin into right standing with You. What an incredible gift. Father, we pray that You would help us to be the same kind of givers. That we would give back to You nothing held back. That we would trust You with everything. That we would understand that You are asking us, You are calling us to give so that people would see the heart of giving that You've given us. Father, we thank You for Your perfect example. You know, God is calling each one of us to follow His example of the giving of our lives, our finances, our time, our energy. Why? Because He first gave to us. It's such an incredible promise. God sent His Son so that through His shed blood, His death and His resurrection, we could have life. We could have relationship. We could have the gift of salvation. It's free. We don't do it. We don't deserve it. We don't pay for it. There's nothing that we could do to earn it other than to confess our need of a Savior. And yet there's a cost. And the cost is us surrendering control. The cost is us saying yes to God. The cost is saying, I no longer am my own. I was bought with a price. God held nothing back. Not even His Son Jesus. So what will our response be in giving back to Him? God, help us. Help us today, Lord, to see the blessings, even in the midst of hardship. To know that You are good. To know that You are faithful. And that as we step out in obedience, as we step out with a cheerful heart and a joyful desire to give, that You're going to bless and You're going to provide and You're going to strengthen and You're going to heal and You're going to enable us to live our lives in such a way that people see You in us. It's our greatest desire. Father, we thank You. We thank You for first giving to us. And God, we receive that love and we gratefully give back to You with generosity and excitement and enthusiasm for what You're going to accomplish through our faithfulness. You know, perhaps today you find yourself in a, in a spot where you've not made that decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You've struggled through a life of ups and downs and rights and lefts and disappointment. And you come to that place and you say, I'm desperate for an answer today. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is that answer. It's not cliche. It's true. When we make that decision to follow Jesus with our whole heart, everything changes. Life immediately has more purpose. God clearly defines our direction. And so we want to give you the opportunity to step into that relationship today. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so we're going to say this prayer together as a church family, as a body, as a community. And we invite you into that conversation. Invite you to say this prayer. And the Bible says as you confess your need of a Savior and you believe 
in your heart that Jesus died for you to be saved. So can we say this together, church family? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You today. In Jesus' name, Amen.